0: On top of the UFC this weekend, we have ACA, Bellator, PFL, CFFC, and the LFA all going down this week. So this week is probably very important for you to be having the MMA Fight Archive, the largest collection of direct fight links to past fights for competitors on upcoming cards. And all of those promotions I just listed are on the Fight Archive as well. We have over 35 members that have already joined up or are in the midst of their free trial, which is available for seven days with the link in the description below so that you can see why so many people have already signed up to this because they know I am the best in the world that finding footage on opponents whether it's for the UFC level or the LFA level or even lower than that if there isn't a fighter that you are looking for even if you're a coach that is not posted on the fight archive just hit us up and we will be glad to post it on their ASAP There's a reason professionals in the industry lean on your boy's services to provide them with as much information on opponents so that they can go out there and transmit the best information they can to their viewers or to their fighters if they're getting them ready for upcoming opponents. Check out the MMA Fight Archive, link in the description below. If you take your predicting, breaking down, and analyzing fights seriously, the MMA Fight Archive will be very helpful to you and save you a boatload of time so you don't have to do the searching of the web yourself. We have everything in one page. for you to enjoy check it out link in the description below and now let's get right into the podcast Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host Manpreet aka MMA Lock of the Night and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 75 headlined by a middleweight fight between Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. Both guys who have come up short in recent title fights to Israel Adesanya but are still staking their claim in the top 5 of the division to maybe even challenge for the title once again in the upcoming years but they got a lot of work to do and it starts this weekend against one another. In the Coleman event. We got Armand Sarukin. Trying to get another W under his record. So that he can get more people. To, 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 to potentially fight him. So that he can eventually get that title shot. And get that rematch against Islam Makhachev That he's been hoping for. As he might be the biggest threat to him. At this point in time. A bunch of other great fights. Sprinkled out throughout the card. The one that I'm looking forward to the most. Armand Petrosian against Christian Leroy Duncan. A fantastic fight. Between two exceptional strikers. And that should be Fireworks. And might even end inside the distance i can't wait to break it down for you guys but most importantly i can't wait to watch it all transpire before we get into that i'd love to go over the You know, predictions from the last event and the prelims a little bit rocky outside of the great underdog and dog of the night call on Jasmine Jazz Duvicius. That comes through for your boy Lock of the Night. Not so much as Blake Builder has no answer for the striking game of Kyle Nelson, especially when he was unable to get him to the ground where I thought he would thrive. I thought his footwork would work a lot better here, making Kyle Nelson whiff on the majority of his strikes, but Kyle Nelson utilized a great leg kicking game, which immobilized uh, Blake Builder for the most part and kept him on, you know, kept in, uh, you know, uh, in range so that he can land even more strikes and make it look good enough for the judges to get his hand raised. So we take an L there. But the PFL lock of the night hits. So for the year now, we are 48 and 14 in terms of lock of the night predictions. That's 77%. I'm more than happy with that. The Dog of the Night, like I said, Jazz Davisius hits. The PFL underdog misses, which was Dan Spawn. So that brings our Dog of the Night record to 30 and 32 for the year. That's 48%, again, still profiting considering the plus money that we've been getting on every single one of these Dog of the Night predictions. A reminder, there is multiple events this weekend. We got UFC and Bellator, which I'll be doing podcasts for this week. Bellator probably dropping on Wednesday or Thursday. There's 16 fights to get through and I'll be dropping those breakdowns first and foremost on the Patreon. Also on the Patreon will be the PFL and LFA breakdown strictly for those guys. I won't be dropping a public podcast for those, but if you want written breakdowns and analysis and predictions for the PFL and LFA, you'll find those on the Patreon. 175 members at the current time. I'm sure we'll get back up to 200 in no time. Check the link in the description below for my personal Patreon, and then obviously you can check out the MMA Fight Archive as well if you would like to do your own research. As we have all links to past fights for the upcoming of uh, fights for all these great promotions you can do it yourself as well link in the description below not to mention the seven day free trial lastly shout out to my guys over there at godzilla wins keeping your boy out there and putting out articles on a weekly basis wednesdays we drop the main event article thursdays we drop the three best money line bets article and you can find those in the links in the description below once they get published so make sure you guys keep your eyes out for that Alright, without further ado, let's get into this 14 fight main card, or 14 fight card, 6 main fight cards and 8 prelim fights, let's get right into it. Kicking things off in the light heavyweight division, we got 6-1 and one Zach Pauga going up against 14-5 Modestus Bukowskis, starting off on the Zach Pauga side, he's coming off a lackluster performance against Jordan Wright, but a lackluster in the sense of it wasn't that entertaining, He did a great job of shutting down the knockout power of Jordan Wright by clinching him up against the cage and trying to look for takedowns but for the most part spending a lot of control time in close quarters so that Jordan Wright didn't have the space to explode into those big highlight reel knockouts that he likes to add to his resume. Paga bounced back from an unfortunate loss to Mohamed Usman, a fight that he lost which was the tough finale uh, and he lost by knockout after controlling that fight pretty easily. He was out striking Usman, getting some control time and doing what he does best, but it was ultimately a short hook from Mohamed Usman that ended Zach Paga's night, handing him his first professional loss through his first six, uh, six fights. Paulga is a solid all-around fighter, training at a team elevation in Denver, Colorado, so you know he has a great training camp behind him, good coaches, and even even better training partners, such as Curtis Blades and uh, prospect on the regional scene, Ben Tynan. Zach still has some solid potential, even though he's 35 years old, he's still relatively young in his MMA career, but I still think he has a couple dubs that he can rack up before he decides to hang up the gloves. On the flip side from Modestus Bukowskis, he used a two-fight winning streak on the regional scene to buy his ticket back to the UFC, and he was able to do so successfully by pulling off an upset victory over Tyson Pedro back in February. Modestus used a great striking approach that night, which touched up uh, Tyson Pedro that night and really reminded people that Tyson might be a lot more hype than he is skilled. He's impressive when he's able to get fights to the ground or utilizes a big power punching against tomato cans like the, uh, you know, the, the the couple fighters that he defeated uh, when he made his return from his long uh, absence. I'm trying to remember. Oh, Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker. He was able to put away both of those guys in the first round. But once he got some legit resistance in Modestus Pucelsus, that's where we saw him falter. Bukowskis had his first run in the UFC go kind of unfortunate I believe he was only one and three through his four fights he was on a three fight losing streak which eventually got him cut from the UFC. Although, he probably should have gotten the decision victory over Mikhail Oleg Shejok back in March of 2021. Regardless, that 3-5 losing streak spelt an, end, spelt an end to his UFC career. Uh, but luckily, he was able to put together two wins, like I said, and got himself back. He's only 29 years old, has a ton of potential, has a great striking game. He's long and lanky for this light heavyweight division, standing at six foot three with a 78-inch reach. It's just, can his durability hold up against most opponents that's a big question mark and secondly uh can he maintain the distance and range required to utilize uh you know his superior striking just like he did against tyson pedro last time out I feel like there's a little bit of recency bias going into this matchup considering the fact that we had not too long ago Zach Pauga lose to Mohamed Usman even though he was a massive favorite in that matchup and then he comes in as a slight favorite against Jordan Wright gets his hand raised but in a pedestrian fashion whereas Bukowski's three fight winning streak and his last fight being an upset victory over Tyson Pedro a fighter that a lot of people overestimate nowadays I feel like the public might be a little bit too high on Bukowskis here going in against Pauga I think Pauga has a good enough striking game and overall MMA game to tie up Bukowskis in the clinch drag him to the ground and do good damage from on top I think he has a good cardio game as well which will allow him to keep this up for 15 minutes and at plus 165 I think he's a good underdog spot to kick off the card Give me Zach Palga by decision. Next up in the bantamweight division, we got 9-1 Dan Argueta going up against 8-2 Ronnie Lawrence. Starting off on the Argueta side, he bounced back after losing his UFC debut at the hands of Damon Jackson, a fight that he took on short notice and up a weight class. Unfortunately, he still fell short in that fight, but put on a pretty good performance in terms of not getting finished by the much bigger fighter and better Brazilian jiu-jitsu player that night. But Argueta bounced back, like I said, in a full training camp against his, uh, I believe, short notice replacement, Nick Aguari, uh, a fight where he utilized his superior resting, dragged that fight to the ground over and over again, and utilized superior top control to grind out his opponent and win that fight by decision. He landed four takedowns in that fight on six attempts and controlled that fight for over 10 minutes to get his hand raised he showcased that he is a solid wrestler as you would kind of assume from that wrestling tattoo that he has on his bicep but he is a very solid fighter with good uh, training partners as well he's been with club swanson for a very long time originally out of the jackson wing camp he also spends time over there in california doing some work over at over there at the ruka gym but he's very well traveled very well seasoned in terms of the level of uh like i said level of training partners and coaching he's been getting been getting throughout his career and even though he came up short on the Ultimate Fighter, I believe the UFC still kept an eye on him, which is why they decided to bring him back when they did on the flip side for ronnie lawrence he's looking to bounce back after having his winning streak snapped by saeed yokob kakramanov who was able to do what ronnie lawrence normally does to his opponents we saw ronnie go out there and land massive amounts of takedowns through his first two ufc fights it was 14 total takedowns that he landed combined between his vince cashero and Mana martinez fights both of which he was able to get his hand raised in but then unfortunately against saeed yokob he gave up 10 takedowns and over 12 minutes of control time that night i was unable to get his hand raised but lawrence doesn't really come from a traditional wrestling background he's more of a you know a mma wrestler and the fact that he kind of learned it on the fly and just utilized his uh or weaponized his cardio and his ability to set a high pace which is why he's able to get all these takedowns and doesn't really spend a whole lot of top time on on his opponent it's more so just continuously taking them to the mat draining them of their cardio and putting on a pace that they're unable to keep up with. His striking is a lot of flashy kicks and a lot of, uh, you know, just movement from the outside, all to eventually change levels, get on on your hips, and take it to the ground so he can do some work from on top. Otherwise, again, he does not come from a traditional wrestling background, which I think is important to realize, especially going into the uh, into the fight this weekend against the opponent that he's going up against. I feel the technical wrestling advantages that Dan Argueta is going to enjoy here will be the difference maker in this matchup. Yes, Ronnie Lawrence might have a little bit of a pace and cardio advantage but I don't think it's so much so to the point that he's just going to go out there and ride out these top positions against a better technical wrestler in Argueta. I think that Lawrence is getting a lot of fan love just because of his style and even though he came up short against Kak people are not giving Argueta the respect that I think he deserves to get the top position that he needs to get some of these positions to ride it out and win his own decision so at plus 155 i'm gonna go with back-to-back underdogs here give me dan argueta by decision moving down to the flyweight division we have six and one teresa bleda going up against eight and two gabriella fernandez starting off on the teresa bleda side she's coming off her first ufc loss which is obviously her debut as well against high level natalia silva She had a very good first round which actually had I believe all three judges scored in her favor where she was able to get some good top control as well as closing in on a very tight submission nearing the end of that first round but luckily Natalia Silva was saved by the bell that night. Bleda got a takedown in the second round but it also seemed like she was starting to run out of gas considering the high activity rate and speed advantage that Natalia Silva was enjoying that night. Silva obviously was able to get away from most of the grappling attacks in the second half of that matchup and she was able to land a beautiful spinning back kick to start the finishing sequence against Teresa to get her hand raised that night. I think it was a big learning experience for Bledo who's only 21 years old and showcases that she has immense potential to be a solid star in the UFC if she continues improving in the way that she is. She got a lot of good experience through her regional ranks, uh, working her way up to the UFC, but it's clear that she does her best work when she's able to drown her opponents on the ground and either finish them from on top or grind them out over a 15-minute period to get her hand raised. She's a little green in the fact that she still needs to figure out how to utilize her gas tank a little bit better, especially when takedowns aren't coming as easy as they normally are. And I think that learning experience from her last fight will be able to help her moving forward, especially this early in her career. Her opponent this weekend, Gabriela Fernandez, lost her UFC debut against Jasmine Jasdu back in February. That was a fight where Fernandez tried utilizing a similar game plan that Natalia Silva used, who had handed Jazz her previous loss before that fight. And uh fernandez just didn't have the speed the footwork or the quickness uh to get away from jaz grappler heavy game plan she just kept getting stuck in corners and Jazz Divisius was successful with getting in on the hips to drag the fight to the ground fernandez is a striker and we've seen her kind of struggle in terms of uh working off of her back when she does get taken down but luckily she's had some pretty bad opponents on the regional scene which allowed her to put together that 8-1 and record before she eventually got called up to the UFC ranks. If she's able to work at distance and utilize her uh, combination striking game she looks pretty damn good but we know at this level in the UFC she's going to be facing way more well-rounded fighters so she really has to shore up the rest of her game if she hopes to be successful at this level. The only thing that scares me here on the Bleda side is the cardio. However, I think she'll have an easier time in terms of corralling and tracking down Fernandez up against the cage, dragging her to the mat and doing good work from on top. I think she could even find a finish in this spot because I think she's that much more dominant from that top position than I believe that she she would have been against Natalia Silva, who's far better than Gabriela Fernandez. So I get... She's worthy of the chalky spot here. She's parlay worthy, in my opinion, too. But I think she's far superior than Fernandez. I don't think that Fernandez's striking advantages are so wide that she'll be able to keep this fight up and keep Bleda on the end of her punches. It's going to be eventual and inevitable that Bleda gets the takedown, drags this fight to the ground, and grinds this fight out. Or I'm going to go with her winning inside the distance, Bleda inside the distance, probably by round two. Sticking with the flyweights, but switching genders here, we got 14-8 Zalgas Zumagulov going up against 13-6 Felipe Bunes. starting off on the Zumagulov side. He's riding a three-fight losing streak, but most importantly, a one-in-five run through his UFC career thus far, far, which is just not what you expected for a fighter who was so successful on the regional scene before making the jump to the UFC. He's had a couple of RE decisions go the other way. Uh, The Jeff Molina fight, the Chad, uh, Charles Johnson fight as well. A lot of these fights, which probably were coin flips and probably could have gone his way as well. And I'm sure he's more than fired up to try to go out there and save his UFC career at this point. I don't, I can't recall if it was him or somebody else, but they were so pissed off with the decision that they lost last time around uh, that he just decided to retire after after the fight was done inside the, the locker room. But... With a little bit of convincing and realizing that he still has all the skills in the world to go out there and compete at a good enough level to be successful in the UFC, Zumugolov is back with a solid hairdo as well, I must say, uh, looking to try to you know reignite his UFC career and try to get some wins under his belt and not end off as a 1-5 in UFC fighter. His lone win came against Jerome Rivera where he was able to lock up a beautiful submission to get the early tap in that matchup, but he's had some tough fights against guys like Amir and Manal Kap, who showed that you know maybe there are some things that Zhumagulov needs to shore up he did have some great wins on the regional scene over former UFC fighters like Tyson Nam and Ali Bagoutinov and even future UFC fighter Tagir Ulinbekov, but he just hasn't been able to showcase those skills in the UFC thus far but I'm looking forward to seeing a very pissed off and motivated version of him this weekend Going up against him this weekend is Felipe Bunez who seemed to be strictly brought in to have this fight against Zumugulov because Zumugulov was scheduled a fight last month but his opponent pulled out I believe on fight week which left Zumugulov without an opponent but they decided to give him a quick turnaround and sign the LFA flyweight champion. Bunez actually won the title back in January of this year where he was able to knock out Yuma Horyuchi in the first round of that fight. He is an improving striker, but originally came from a Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. You saw him really take his opponents to the mat and try to utilize his jiu-jitsu in, this, in the earlier parts of his career. But around the Juicy formiga fight is where we saw him to get a little bit more comfortable in the striking realm. He lost the Formiga fight, obviously, but showcased a solid wrestling approach in his following fight against Cruz, but then showcases his superior striking game against yuma horiochi he's a solid all-around fighter training out of the pitbull brothers training camp uh, doesn't fight as wildly as they do but he does have an aggressive style but he can be put on his back and he can be grinded out by better wrestlers just as we saw during his aca stint where he went 0 three against all those fighters let's not you know hold that against him too much considering the combined record of those fighters when he was facing them was 25 and 1 so you know the russian fighters are salivating to To get Brazilian fighters like Bunas to come over to the ACA promotion to fight them because they give them the perfect style they need. A Russian wrestler against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt or somebody close to that level so that they can take him to the ground and just think or make the Brazilian think that they can possibly pull off a submission off their back. But in reality they just end up grinding them out over 15 minutes and winning that fight anyway. Felipe is a solid addition to the UFC flyweight roster. We just have to see how he is matched up through his first couple fights to see what his longevity in the UFC will look like. I feel like this is a huge bounce back spot for Zalgaz Zumogulov. This is a perfect stylistic matchup. His durability is up there that I think that he'll be able to withstand any type of sniper-like shot that Buenas wants to land, but I think that Zalgas can put the pressure on him with his punches or even drag this fight to the ground and have good success from on top. He really needs to mix his martial arts here and do it dominantly to make it look good enough for the judges for him to finally get his hand raised and hopefully take home a W and his second win in his UFC career. But at minus 165, I feel like this is a gift of a line, uh, you know, considering that Zumagulov, in my opinion, overall is much better than Buna Bunus was great on the regional scene but against a certain level of competition wins over horiuchi and cruz are only going to do so much for you i think he's going to really feel the pressure here going up against a very skilled fighter like zumagulov do not let his one in five ufc record scare you off from him i think he is a very good spot here and i'm going to be taking a shot on him give me zumagulov by decision we got another flyweight bout coming your way here, and it goes down between 8-2 Carlos Hernandez and 16-4 and Dennis bondaire Starting off on the Carlos Hernandez side, training out of Chicago, Illinois under the Valley Flow Systems gym. Very solid striker here, but the big flaw that I have in his game, or at least big red flag for me, is the fact that he's consistently moving backwards in his fights he has won his last two fights by split decision before obviously he got submitted by Alan Nascimento in his last fight but his previous two wins like i said coming by split decision which just brings to question you know how effective can that backward striking style be at this higher level when you have solid opponents that are more than happy to push the pace and be the ones moving forward but they obviously have to look for, look towards the uh the, the power and the striking coming back to away from an educated striker like Carlos Hernandez. However, op- optically speaking, it just doesn't look that good for the judges, right? That's why he's winning split decisions. It's just very close and he might be looking like he's doing well with the damage he's landing and, you know, crashing the pocket at opportune moments uh, to land the offense that he needs to. But it's still going to be a coin flip in some of his fights if he continuously uh, accepts the back foot and continuously fights in that manner. As we saw in the Ala Nascimento fight, grapplers are going to be salivating at the fact that his opponent is continuously moving backwards, especially around that warning track where they don't have too much to do in terms of just throwing a combination to back him Soli's He's pretty much up against the cage and then they can just dive in on the hips or at least engage in the clinch and start working for a takedown. He has shown some decent takedown defense, but it's also a big red flag when a lot of opponents are going to be able to drag him to the mat. Against his uh, contender series opponent uh, Daniel Barres, he gave up five takedowns that night, but he did a great job in terms of working back to his feet and dishing out the better sign- or better damage, which ultimately got him the win that night. He did end up only giving up about two and a half minutes of control time, but still a big red flag to me that he's given up these many takedowns against you know guys that aren't, aren't even in the UFC at this point. Who knows what he's going to be able to do against guys that are much more skilled and can do better damage from on top. Speaking of skilled grapplers, his opponent Dennis Bondare this weekend had an unfortunate start to his UFC career in February of 2022. He took on Malcolm Gordon as a very big favorite that night and did successfully take Malcolm Gordon to the ground, but he got caught in a weird submission and ultimately ended up injuring his right el- or left elbow, which caused him to be out of competition for over, you know, close to a year and a half now. That obviously, that fight ended by submission. I believe it was like a verbal tap out to that injury. So they didn't really cash it or count it as a TKO as they normally do with injuries, they counted it as a submission bondair uh at his best very aggressive with his grappling looks to get his opponents to the ground and tries to finish them from that top position he's not a lame prey guy at by any means he's always looking to pass guard looking to pass into better dominant positions so that he can rain down big blows opening up submission opportunities and taking full advantage of that the kind of red flag i have on him is his level of competition He hasn't really been fighting the best guys on the regional scene, and when he does, he's been coming up short. But he does have a style to be very successful at the UFC level. Grapplers are always going to be favored to go out there and be the ones that end up getting their hand raised. And given the aggressiveness and cardio that he's shown in past fights, he can be successful. It's unfortunate how he started his UFC career, but it's not how you start it's how you finish, and I'm looking forward to seeing how this 30-year-old continues to progress through his UFC career, especially with stepping into a second UFC fight this weekend. I think stylistically speaking, this is a solid spot for Bondaire. There's a reason I think he started off as the underdog and went to a favorite now because people see what I'm seeing. Hernandez consistently puts himself into bad positions that Bonder will be able to take advantage of and that's pushing him behind the warning track crashing forward getting in on his hips and getting some takedowns even if he doesn't dominate him from on top it's just landing consistent takedowns getting good enough damage from on top to make it look good enough for the judges over the fact that Hernandez will likely be getting the better of the striking exchanges hopefully he can limit those striking exchanges though stay on him like glue get him to the ground do some damage from on top I'm going to take Dennis Bonder to win by decision heading up to the bantamweight division we got 18 and 9 kyung ho kong going up against 18 and 3 christian Ikinonas. starting off on the kong side he's coming off a decision victory over Batkaril dana last time around where he was able to showcase solid striking after giving up the first round he did have some good work in the second and third rounds with his long jab getting a couple takedowns but also doing some good work you know overall in terms of making it look good for the judges and really making Batkario miss on a lot of his big strikes knowing that he throws in a powerful manner pretty much every time he throws his strikes. Before that, Hani Yaya was able to get the decision victory over Kong by taking him down and controlling him for the majority of that matchup. I believe that was the return fight for Kong as well from the military service that he was obligated to do for his uh, or mandatory military service i should say that he was supposed to do for his uh country there but it was three takedowns that yaya landed and controlling that fight for close to 11 minutes out of the 15 total minutes that it took place kong was probably one of my dark horses back in the day for being one of the top bantamweights in the ufc but he just could not get a solid uh record going he couldn't string together enough victories to uh you know really break into the top 15 you know he's had a couple three five winning streaks all three of them or both of them being snapped the first of which by Hikaru Hamos by split decision and then Hani Yaya back in 2021 at 35 years old it's not really that often that you see somebody at that age uh you know fighting for a title or getting into the top five top 10 especially when they're already this far out from that top 10 uh ranking but Kong still has some good skills that we need to respect, and he could still go out there and get some ha- get his hand raised in a couple of these matchups. His opponent this weekend, Christian Quiñones, is riding a solid winning streak at this point in time, especially coming in with an 18 and three record. He came in off of the contender series where he beat Long Xiao in a very solid decision fight, where he started off hot. Fell off a little bit, but managed to get the momentum back in his way in the third round and was able to win that fight and get that decision and get that contract to eventually make it to the UFC. He had a successful UFC debut against Khalid Taha back in Paris in September, where he was able to knock him out in the uh, first round, about three minutes into that first round, uh, where he used his long jab, his movement, and his ability to strike his opponents from distance, and then eventually that power that he was able to uncork to get his hand raised. He's a very solid prospect at 27 years old. I think this kid has a lot of goods and a lot of talent to potentially make some noise in this division. He's long, he's lanky, he's rangy, and he moves very well with his footwork to utilize his superior striking against most of his opponents. Not to mention, he has a damn badass Goku tattoo on his right arm. I feel like this is another great spot for Christian Quinones to go out there and shine. I like Kang, and I think he's a solid all-around fighter, but I think he's going to have a hard time getting a beat on the footwork and the lanky striking of Quinones. Quinones also has a great two down the middle, and I feel like if Kang eats one of those clean, he might not be able to get up off of it. He has decent durability, don't get me wrong, but I think that Quiñones is a better complete fighter here. Uh, I give Kang the edge slightly in the grappling realm, but I fully expect Quiñones to be able to keep this fight in the upright position where he'll be able to get the better of the striking and keep more of a pressure game on and successful uh, effectively, uh, against Kang like Batkaril did in the first round of Batkaril and uh, Kang but I think that Kinones can keep that up for 15 minutes here and if he even if he slips up in a round like we've seen him do in the past he has the ability to battle back from adversity and I expect him to do that here I'm giving Kinones the dub here and I think it comes by decision heading down to our fourth and final flyweight bout of the evening we got 16 and 6 jimmy the brick flick going up against 12 and 3 alessandro costa Starting off on the Jimmy Flick side, he returned from his retirement to a loss to Charles Johnson back in January where he was unable to get the fight to the ground and ultimately paid the price where Charles Johnson was able to beat him to the punch and then eventually knock him out and nearing the ending of that first round. And that kind of shows the limits of Jimmy Flick's game because if he's not able to get fights to the ground, he very much struggles in terms of getting his hand raised. He's very awkward in the striking realm in terms of throwing a lot of kicks, but eventually looking to get the fight to the ground, whether it's with the flying triangle like he caught cody Durdian in or just pulling guard or even just getting a traditional takedown he does his best work when he's able to get his opponents to the mat he's one of the best when i see uh he's one of the best in terms of controlling his opponents when he gets them to the ground because you'll notice he doesn't give his opponents space at all he sticks to them like glue even from that top position waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can capitalize on it with either a submission attempt or a, uh, a guard pass or a transition so that he can get to a more dominant position he's very very tight from on top which makes him so lethal in terms of getting the positions that he needs to eventually pull off his submission victories he just needs to improve his striking a little bit more so that he's not getting completely battered on the feet before he's able to get the takedown and again obviously it's easier for him to get takedowns if he's throws some hands or throws some kicks to get his opponent distracted a little bit so that he can get in on the hips to get his opponents to the ground I would love to see him join a solid gym or at least to one of these super camps to get that high level training in so that he can learn how to get these takedowns a little bit easier so that he can showcase where he is best because I really believe his ground game is one of the best that the flyweight division has to offer. His opponent this weekend Alessandro Costa came in on short notice back in December but lost via knockout to Amir Albazi. He was on the contender series in 2022 as well, where he won in week 1 with a split decision victory over his opponent. Uh, he showcased solid skills that night, but did not get the contract. Luckily for him, all he needed was a 12-second knockout in his return to the regional scene to get back on the radar of the UFC matchmakers, and they were able to bring him in as a short-notice replacement to face Amir Albazi, like I had said. He's a solid striker with a solid BJJ black belt as well. He trains out of the same training camp as Alexa Grosso and was even in her corner the night that she obtained that title over Valentina Shevchenko. He's a solid striker like I said, but I believe he does his best work when he takes his his opponents to the mat. He does throw solid tight combinations. He's very compact with his striking approach, which allows his uh, striking defense to be pretty good, but the ground is probably where he does his best work. For me, the red flag was, even though he's a black belt, I saw him get reversed by a couple times by opponents on the regional scene, which is not a good look when he starts fighting better grapplers and better BJJ players in the UFC ranks. But at 27 years old, we have to expect him to be improving every time out and I look forward to seeing what product we get from him this weekend. Costa's a great fighter. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like this line is a little bit wild. Right? I I I get Flick doesn't have much of a striking game, but I'm not super impressed by Costa's takedown defense nor his control when he's on top or even on bottom. Flick is a very high-level BJJ player and he's so crafty when he gets that top position. It's going to be challenging for him to get that position, but I feel like the stationary style of Costa will allow Flick for good takedown opportunities good enough takedown opportunities that i think that the plus 210 line on him is worth a shot here i think he's good enough in terms of getting this fight to the ground and even though costa is a bjj black belt we've seen over the last couple years and couple months actually even going down to the regional scene that bjj black belts doesn't mean that they're just going to completely stop any type of submission threat that their opponent might have and that might be the case here as well I like Flick at this number. I agree that Costa should be the favorite. I just don't know if the line should be this wide. So give me Jimmy Flick here. And I think he might pull off a submission. A sprinkle at plus 210. Not too bad in my books. Give me Flick by sub. Headlining the prelim portion of the card. We got a bantamweight belt between 17 and 4. Howney Barcelos going up against 13 and 2. Miles Johns starting off on the Hani Barcelo side. He's on a bit of a tough run as he's one in 3 over his last four fights. However, those three losses come, you know, with some some solid reasoning. His last time out he got knocked out by Umar Nurmagomedov, who a lot of people believe is the next bantamweight champion just waiting to get some more bigger opportunities and people in the top five to actually fight him before that he did bounce back off of his two fight losing skid over trevin jones where he's able to showcase a solid all-around game his superior striking and his superior grappling to get his hand raised by decision before that was that two fight losing streak that i had alluded to where he lost a very close fight to timor Valiyev, which could have gone either way and then the victor henry fight where he just looked up very flat The output of Henry and the disrupting of the pace was too much for Hani that night, which caused Barcelos to really just think a little bit too much, in my opinion, and not pull the trigger more than he should have. But... At 36 years old I still think he's a high level bantamweight that can still pull off some wins but I think his ability to fight for a title is probably long gone at this point in time. He's still like I said a very high level bantamweight fighter and someone that's going to be very tough to beat even at this age. I believe at 38 or 39 is when he's going to start to slow down but I still think that he's a like I said solid striker very aggressive with his kicks and has a very solid wrestling background as well. I believe he was on the national wrestling team for brazil i could be off on that statistic but i swear to god i've heard that over the last couple years after researching him but he's a very solid all-around fighter like i said and i fully expect him to utilize his full mma skill set this week and to try to bounce back from one uh from that unfortunate loss that he started off 2023 with His opponent, Miles Johns, is coming off of a win over Vince Morales the last time around, rebounding successfully from that loss that he took to John Castaneda, where a lot of people were able to cash on Castaneda as an underdog. Johns had this big prospect feel about him coming into the UFC with an undefeated record, but was eventually knocked out by Mario Bautista several fights ago, and that kind of just showed the ceiling that he had. A lot of people thought he was a wrestle-heavy fighter, which he is, but kind of struggled to hold opponents to the ground and even struggled more in terms of trying to put together a solid cardio game so that he can go a full 15 minutes if he needs to to win his fights. It's when opponents are able to push the pace against him and hit him with a very significant strikes similar to what John Castaneda did, which is what slowed down Miles Johns and caused him to lose that fight. But in the Morales fight, it was a very close fight. Uh, but we saw Miles Johns get his hand raised ever so slightly in that matchup by decision. I, Again, I he's 29 years old. He could be making improvements. But I just don't know if he'll ever really make it into that top 15 of the division. Given the restrictions that he has with his cardio, his technical striking game. Um, and yeah, he has big power, good wrestling. But he just doesn't have what it takes to get over that hump, in my opinion. I feel like this is a great spot for Barcelos to go out there and style on Miles Johns. My only concern is obviously the knockout power that Miles Johns carries, but I think that Barcelos is good enough to see those shots coming here, and I don't think that Johns is as creative as a striker that Umar Nurmagomedov is, which allowed him to get the knockout victory over Barcelos. Barcelos is the cleaner, better, crisper striker here over Johns, and I wouldn't even be surprised if Barcelos looks to implement some sort of grappling approach here to try to nullify Johns as well. Johns has good wrestling in his own right so I don't think it'll be super easy for Barcelos to negate that power of Johns and get him to the ground quickly but I think mixing in his striking with his leg kicks and getting this to the ground eventually will allow him to put together a good enough full game to get his hand raised by decision. Give me Barcelos to bounce back successfully from his loss to Nurmagomedov earlier this year and I think he gets it done this weekend by decision. We have a great welterweight battle kicking off the main card here between 21-4-1 Nicholas Dalby going up against 19-3 Muslim Salikov. Starting off on the Nicholas Dalby side, he's riding a two-fight winning streak over Claudio Silva and Warli Alves. He showcased a solid output volume style game where he's able to mix in takedowns but also utilize his volume style like I said to make it look good enough for the judges for him to get his hand raised. He uses a very awkward style of striking where he likes to throw a lot of kicks, keep his hands down but that allows him to one, utilize his uh, hands a little bit more effectively because people are not able to predict what angles his strikes are coming from which which allows him to land them from weird positions in the striking realm. But on the negative side, it also leaves his head open to being hit. But his durability has shown off pretty well over his last couple fights, which is allowing him to get his hand raised in some of these spots. Um, On the flip side, he uses a lot of his footwork to try to get in and out of range so he doesn't get hit too much and ultimately preserves the durability that he has. He originally got cut from the UFC a couple fights back, um, but was able to work his way back, showcase that he's still a very good fighter to at least contend in the top 30 to 20-ish range in the welterweight division and he's been showcasing that over his last couple of fights he's a solid all-around fighter like i said i just don't know if at 38 years old he has what it takes to make a run into title contention but he will still be able to collect some handsome paychecks from the ufc if he can continue to get his hand raised on the flip side for muslim salikov 39 years old coming off a knockout victory over andre fialio which was a fight that actually was uh him bouncing back from his second UFC loss. He lost his UFC debut way back in 2017 to Alex Garcia, where he gave up three takedowns that night and ultimately got submitted halfway through the second round. But after that, he bounced back with five straight victories, uh, most notably over Francisco Trinaldo and Elizio Zaleski Dos Santos, both fights which he was able to get his hand raised by decision. He did have that snapped, like I said, by Li Liang back in July of 2022 when he got knocked out near the ending of the second round. Salikov, like his nickname states, is the king of kung fu. Loves to use a lot of spinning techniques, specifically that back kick to the body or that spinning back kick to the body. He holds a lot of power in that spot or that shot and he's been able to down a couple fighters with that as well. But he is a little bit slow. He's getting a little bit chinny and he's showcasing that he can slow down the later fights get. The one positive in his game is that he's shown some solid takedown defense since that first loss that he took in the UFC. He's been able to stuff 9 of 10 takedown attempts from his opponents thus far, but then again I don't know if any of those opponents that he's been facing have really been e- searching for you know high level takedowns against Salikov, more so than just to try to nullify him and keep him off of his game, which is mainly that striking game. Even though it's been a while since Dobby has been knocked out, I'm still a little bit concerned that he could get knocked out. But if his durability continues to hold up, I think he can put together a much better overall game plan here against this somewhat one-dimensional Muslim Salikov. I think that Dalby has a good output game. I think he has some decent takedowns as well that he might be able to blend behind his strikes here to get Salikov to the ground and control him there for a good bit of time. I also think his durability, his speed and athleticism advantage will allow him to get off some significant strikes that might be able to outweigh the Kung Fu style of Salikov. Still got to be careful about the durability on Dalby. And there is just a part of me that's a little bit skeptical. Like, what if Dalby's not able to get the takedowns? And what if Salikov lands enough significant strikes here, uh, more impactful significant strikes, I should say, to make it look better for the judges on his side? even if he doesn't get the knockout. But I feel like Dobby is just a little bit more complete. Again, his speed advantage is going to be massive for him here. If he can get in and out without getting hit too badly by Salikov, he should be able to make it look good enough for the judges. I think Dalby wins this fight by decision. We got a lightweight banger on our hands with this next one, folks. We got 13-2 and Manuel Torres going up against 13-4 and Nicholas Mota. Starting off on the Manuel Torres side, he's riding a four-fight winning streak, which include his... Uh, contender series win over colton unglin where he was able to knock him out even though there was an asterisk constraint that unglin was complaining about an eye poke that the referee did not see torres put the gas on him and was able to knock him out quickly thereafter he made a successful ufc debut when he knocked out frank the crank camacho back in 2022 and it was a vicious knockout which showcased what torres is really good at However, there are a lot of question marks in his game still concerning the lack of competition he's been fighting on the regional scene, the fact that he got submitted by a heel hook five fights ago, which is very low level for anybody coming into the UFC game, but also his cardio just does not look the greatest either. You see him huffing and puffing a little bit in some of his fights when he's not able to get that quick knockout in the first couple minutes of his fights, but he's eventually able to get that get to it because, of, like I said, level of competition is quite low from what he's been going up against. I believe he was scheduled to fight Trey Ogden a couple months back, but was forced to pull out due to a uh, medical condition he had in terms of cutting weight, uh, which got him out of that, and I was very pissed off because I was quite high on Trey Ogden in that spot. I believe Manuel Torres has a lot of holes in his game that will only be exploited once opponents are able to survive that early onslaught that he provides. Because one, I think he has a cardio issue. Two, I don't think he has much else other than a power striking game early in his fights. And three, I think he has a horrible uh, game on the ground as well. But it's going to take a certain level of opponent to showcase that and exploit that from him. His opponent this weekend, Nicholas Moto will oblige with him in the firefight and that may be good or bad for him considering how he's been knocked out in a couple of his fights but has also produced knockouts of his own. One of those knockouts came in his first UFC win last time around against Cameron Van Camp where he was able to knock him out in the first round. That was a fight where I really thought we would see Mota's grappling tested. In my opinion, we haven't seen it tested since he was on the Ultimate Fighter back in 2015 or could have been 2016. Either way, 2015 or 2016 with Glyco Franco, who was able to get him to the ground and eventually submit him that night. But Mota has primarily been facing strikers who have been obliging with striking with him, and Mota has been able to get his hand raised more often than not, specifically in that Contender Series winning performance that got him to the UFC. But we did see his durability issues on display when he was knocked out by Jim Miller in the second round of their matchup, which was his UFC debut. Like I said, he did bounce back against Cameron Van Kemp and hopefully he's able to get some consistency rolling this weekend and string together two wins for the first time in his UFC career if he's able to get his hand raised this weekend. I really don't think Manuel Torres is UFC level, but if they continue to match him up with fighters that he can go out there and knock out quickly, people are going to continue to ride on his hype train, which is why he's around minus 180 at the time of this recording. Nicholas Mota has his durability issues, which has me concerned a little bit, but I feel like he has more longevity in terms of this fight to win i think that torres has a cardio issue that motel might be able to take advantage of if he can stay safe enough in the early goings of this matchup getting into the second round and eventually find the knockout of his own i think he's a better technical striker here and i think he's the better overall fighter here with much better experience under his belt yes torres has the uh the early knockout capability. So taking towards round one, probably the best way to go about it to extract as much value as you can from that type of fighter. But I feel like Mota can finesse himself to eventually get a knockout victory of his own in the latter half of this matchup. The spot that I like the most it's chalky but the fight doesn't go to decision. I'd be surprised if this fight hits the scorecards. I'm expecting one guy to get the knockout here. I'm gonna go with the Brazilian and Nicholas Mota, another underdog here but i think the majority of my investment in this fight will go on the chalk on the fight doesn't go to decision but gimme mota is the winner by knockout our next fight comes in the featherweight division between pat sabatini who comes in with the 17 and 4 record going up against 14 and 1 lucas almeida starting off on the pat sabatini side he's looking to bounce back from his first ufc defeat at the hands of damon jackson back in september That night, it only took 69 seconds for Damon Jackson to drop and pound out Pat Sabatini and pull off the big upset victory that night. Sabatini came in just over a two and a half half to one favorite against Damon that night, which was clearly due to the hype train that he was providing coming into the UFC. He had a two-fight winning streak coming into the UFC and then pulled off four straight dominant victories over his opponents, which gave him that uh, big spot against Damon Jackson. A very tough, durable, and experienced Damon Jackson, but he was not able to produce on another victory that night. Now he tries to bounce back and a solid uh, opponent from him this weekend, but it's clear that we know Sabatini does his best work in the grappling realm. He's able to take his opponents to the ground and grind them out from that top position as he's been able to land a takedown in every single one of his fights with the exception of the Jamal Emerus fight because that was one where I believe Emerus had knocked him down or there was a slip that had occurred and then Jamal Emerus tried playing footsies with him and Sabatini was the far superior jiu-jitsu player that night which allowed him to get that heel hook position, crank on it and get that quick submission victory. But he's been able to take down Tristan Connolly, Tucker Lutz five times, TJ Laramie six times. And that's clearly where he does his best work. His opponent this weekend, Lucas Almeida, is looking to put together three straight victories after losing on the contender series back in 2021. It was a very close fight that he had with Daniel Zellhuber, and it took just one victory on the regional scene for the UFC to decide to bring him to the UFC regardless. Um, And he was able to get that knockout victory over Mike Trezano uh, pretty much this time last year. He was a plus 200 ish underdog that night. And I believe a lot of people thought Trezano was the better striker, which, you know, he did show in certain spots that he was by hurting Almeida a couple times. But it was ultimately Almeida who was able to get a knockdown in the second and then the third round, which was the ultimate uh, difference maker and allowed him to get that knockout victory, like I said, in the third round. Is a power striker, but he clearly has an issue with his ground game, which is what opponents have been able to expose in the past. Maybe not so much so to the point that they're able to get their hand raised, but you do see them having success when they get him to the ground. He only has that one loss to Daniel Zellhuber, so he's clearly improving all parts of his game. But we know as he gets into the UFC and starts taking steps up in competition, he's going to be fighting better grapplers who could keep him into those compromising positions more often than he hopes to be kept in, which could take away from his striking game, which could take away from his win conditions going into fights as well. I'm a little concerned that the power of Lucas Almeida should be able to translate here to knock out Sabatini, but I think that Sabatini's wrestling game should be able to keep him safe enough against a guy like Almeida who has struggled in the past with grapplers himself. Now again, like I said before, he's only had one loss under his belt, which was to Daniel Zellhuber, but even in those fights that he has won, he's shown some deficiencies in the grappling realm. So we got to believe that Sabatini is probably the best grappler that he's faced to this point in time. And if that's the case, then I think that Sabatini can get in on the hips, can get the takedown and can rack up a bunch of control time, maybe even pull off a submission. But I'm going to go Pat Sabatini by decision, not with a ton of confidence, just because I want to see how he rebounds from a, such a devastating knockout loss like he had against Damon Jackson last time around. But I think he is good enough to ground out Lucas Almeida here, drag him into deep waters, Possibly submit him, but I'm going to go by decision. We got a potential fight of the night on our hands here in the middleweight division between 7 and 2. Armin Petrosian going up against 8 and 0. Christian Leroy Duncan. Starting off on the Armin Petrosian side, he's coming off of a decision victory over AJ Dobson back in October. He showcased his solid takedown defense game, good get up game, and even better striking game where he's able to put together solid strikes over 15 minutes to win that fight via decision he's a competent kickboxer who does not discriminate with his target he attacks the body just as much as he attacks the head just as much as he attacks the legs and that's what i love to see from strikers who just don't get overzealous with the head hunting of their opponents it takes a full and complete striking game to d- dismantle your opponent especially if you have a significant striking advantage over them make it like target practice practice there's no and no need to just whiff everything into the, the the head strikes and try to knock your opponent out just set it up slowly and methodically and it eventually come to you. What I'm most impressed about Petrosian's game is his defensive grappling. He comes from a kickboxing background, but he showcased that he has very good get-ups. Like his takedowns could, or takedown defense could use a little bit of work, but he's so confident in his ability to stop submission attempts which he did very impressively against Gregory Rodriguez and Cabajayo but also his ability to work back to his feet and then get back to his striking game where he's most comfortable but as he found out in the Ohio fight there will be fighters that will have more success controlling you on the mat and that might not be too good for you uh, especially if you can't work out quickly enough and then accrue enough damage on the feet so that the judges see it in your favor over the damage and control time that his opponents were getting again queuing more so towards the Kauba Bahayo fight that he had he's 32 years old and as long as the UFC continues to match him up with solid fighters or solid uh, other opponents that could pro- produce entertaining fights like the Gregory Rodriguez fight he could keep a roster spot until he decides to hang the gloves up I look forward to seeing what he brings to the table this weekend against a very entertaining fighter and former cage warriors champion Christian Leroy Duncan Duncan had an unfortunate start to his UFC career back in March, going up against Dusko Todorovic, who suffered a beautiful or beautiful, (laughs) I apologize, a brutal knee injury that night, which forced the fight to be stopped, I believe, halfway through the first round. But Christian Leroy Duncan is a very solid striker. The majority of his opponents look to take him to the ground, where they're going to try to able control him from that top position, pull off a submission, or try to just grind him out to a decision. However. He's always able to work his way back to his feet, forcing his opponents to exert so much energy that he can really start to let go in the second and third rounds with his striking, which always produces highlight real knockouts. Out of his eight total victories, three of them have come by either spinning or flying techniques. Just as you see in the graphic there, he loves throwing that flying knee and he's able to land it more often than not because of his speed and explosiveness. And that's what he leans on a lot is his speed his explosiveness, and his power, which is why he's been able to finish the majority of his opponents. He's a very exciting addition to the middleweight division, and I can't wait to see how far this 27-year-old can take it. Petrosian is clearly the technically better fighter here, and that's obvious to pretty much anybody, and I love the fact that he mixes up his targets as well as he does, but I feel like the speed and explosiveness and power of Christian Leroy Duncan is going to be the difference maker in this matchup. I fully expect him to go out there and land that knockout blow on Petrosian petrosian you know again technically a better kickboxer but he has been knocked out in the past by far less technical strikers and i'm not saying christian leroy duncan is this berserker with no technique or anything but like when you come from a kickboxing background that petrosian petrosian does you know you got to believe that petrosian is usually the one with the technical advantages but in mma we know speed power agility explosiveness usually is a difference maker and uh you know the 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 thing that balances out most matchups in, in in MMA. And I think that that's what's going to translate here for Duncan. So I feel like there might be some people looking to fade the Duncan hype train, but I think they're going to be doing it ill-advised. Speed, power, explosivity. Give me Christian Leroy Duncan, probably first or second knockout. First or second round knockout. Co-main event time, and it goes down in the lightweight division. We got Armand Sarukian coming in with a... 19-3 and record going up against 12-3 and Joaquim Silva. Starting off on the Petrosian side, he's a very hot, I guess we don't call him a prospect anymore. He's at a main event slot in the past, which he came up short in, in a very somewhat, I wouldn't call it controversial decision, but a uh, hotly debated decision against Matosh Kamrad, but his only other loss in the UFC coming at the hands of Islam Mahachev in a close fight. Arman Surukyan is a very solid and talented grappler and he showcased that in his last matchup against a very high level opponent in Demir Ismagulov. He was able to shut down the striking advantage that Ismagulov had in that fight by utilizing his superior grappling, pushing him up against the cage, landing some takedowns and continuously sticking onto him like glue. His cardio is very impressive as well which allows him to showcase that style over the course of 15 minutes. He's an improving striker as well and he can showcase that big knockout power just like he did against against Cristos a couple fights back, but he's also very dangerous as well, just as we saw in the Joel Alvarez fight. And even though that fight was stopped via TKO or cut, uh, he beat the piss out of him. Let's be honest. He put a beating on Joel Alvarez that night and really shut down the hot streak that Alvarez was on coming into that matchup. But Sarukian needs some willing dance partners. It's unfortunate that he has to con- well not continue to. He had a high level opponent in his last matchup, his last two fights, I should say. But nobody really wants to fight him at this point in time. Which he why is which is why he's fighting Joaquin Silva this weekend. Joachim Silva is 12-3 and and currently 2-3 over his last 5 fights, but coming off a beautiful knockout victory over Jesse Ronson last time, that started off with a flying knee in the second round. Joachim Silva is a BJJ black belt, but is preferring to utilize his striking more often because he loves being explosive, throwing his power, and trying to knock out his opponents. On the flip side, he does get knocked out as well you know his last four fights have ended by knockout two in which he got his hand raised and two in which he ended up losing at 34 years old i just don't know if this is the type of matchup he should be taking to try to string together a couple wins but he will really jump the line if he's able to get a win here over a high-ranked guy like armand surukin and he might be able to make up for the lack of activity he's had throughout his ufc career if he's able to get his hand raised there's no need to get long-winded about this. I feel like Sarukian can dominate Joaquin Silva pretty much anywhere, but I think he also finishes him as well. So I'll be looking at that walk Joaqu- uh, Sarukian inside the distance line rather than taking the minus one thousand. But he should smoke Silva in this spot. I'd be surprised if Silva has any success in this fight. There's a reason Sarukian's minus one thousand. Give me Sarukian via KO surukin so inside the distance and hopefully call, makes an emphatic statement on the mic as well and calls out one of these top five guys so he can go out there and perform maybe him against benio Dariush whenever benio Dariush gets over his most recent loss but i would love to see that fight to set up possibly the next number one contender or somebody to fight the top two or three guy next and that brings us to the main event of the evening, which goes down in the middleweight division, where we have 19-5-1 Marvin Vittori going up against 16-6 Jared Cannonier. Starting off on the Marvin Vittori side, he's coming off a very close fight against Roman Delizze back in September in Paris in a fight where he's really taking the big shots of Delizze early, but was able to start landing his uh, more efficient Uh, output in the second and third rounds to get that win by decision. It was a very close fight, and Delizze had some uh, argument to actually get his hand raised that night as well, but it was ultimately uh, Vittori who was successful that night. Since 2017, the only losses that Vittori has taken has been at the hands of Israel Adesanya, current middleweight champion, and former middleweight champion Robert Whittaker. Vittori hopes to get back into the title talks, but it's going to be tough to convinced the masses that he deserves another title shot considering that he's already 0-2 against the champion but he's improving his striking game and not just being reliant on his strength and his aggro pressure in that clinch and that grappling realm to get his hand raised if he can continue to improve his striking which has been his weak point he could turn into a solid uh contender once again especially considering he's only 29 years old his opponent this weekend, Jared Cannonier, is coming off a very close decision victory over Sean Strickland back in December. And now this is another main event slot that he has, hoping to string together two straight victories once again. He came up short against Israel Adesanya last year in his title shot and his one shot to hopefully get that gold. But at 39 years old, coming up short against that champion, I don't believe he's going to be able to find himself in another spot to convince the masses that he deserves uh, another title shot. Similar to his opponent this weekend, Marvin Vittori, his only losses since being at middleweight have come at the hands of Israel Adesanya and Robert Whittaker. Jared Canonier is a fighter that relies heavily on his explosiveness, his striking, and knockout power to get his hand raised. His ground game is not that bad. His ability to stuff takedowns and stay on the feet is very impressive, but it's also just his power that is so lethal and hard for a lot of opponents to 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 really handle and try to strike back with. I remember being there live when he was fighting Kelvin Gaslam at the apex and just hearing the thud from the shots that he was landing on a durable opponent like Gaslam, I felt like I was going to get knocked out just from the wind that was coming off some of the strikes that he was throwing. The guy is very powerful, very strong, and at 39 years old, I don't know how much longer he has left to compete at the high level, but if he can get good stylistic matchups across from him, he might still be able to get his hand raised at the top of the middleweight division this is a tricky fight to call so I completely understand why it's sitting at a pick'em right now but I'm gonna go with Jared Cannonier because I feel like he can land the more significant strikes from a prolonged period of time and kind of do what Roman De Lige did but for a long longer period of time like I said win more rounds here you know Vittori striking is definitely improving don't get me wrong but I think he's going to struggle to implement any type of grappling or krill chevy game as he has been able to do in the past to win his fights Cannonier is very tough to keep in one spot and very difficult to hold down which allows me to believe that Cannonier should be able to keep this fight upright use a lot of leg kicks use a lot of movements land some big shots down the middle that could hurt Vittori maybe not put him away because we know Vittori is very difficult to put away but I think Canonier is good enough to land a barrage of strikes over 25 minutes and get his hand raised by decision so give me Jared Cannonier by decision close fight but I pick him odds I feel like Cannonier is the side and there you guys go. Breakdowns on all 14 fights for this UFC card. I got a lot of dogs barking, as you guys can tell. I don't ex- I don't know if all of them will win, but I feel like a good enough amount of them will win if we put one unit on every dog that I predicted. Hopefully, we come out in the green. We'll see how that ends up going. Again, Bellator Breakdowns coming out later this week. Hopefully, Wednesday. I believe it's probably going to be Thursday at the rate that I'm going at right now, as well as all of the MMA Fight Archive. Fighter profiles are going to be updated for... The ACA, Bellator, PFL, uh, LFA, and CFFC cards that all go down this weekend. So, if you want to do your own predictions and breakdowns and analyzing fights, the MMA Fight Archive has you completely covered. Check the link in the description below for your seven day free trial. Also, if you want my breakdowns, written breakdowns on PFL and LFA, those will strictly be available to my personal Patreon members. Check the link in the description below for the MMA, LOTN, uh, Patreon. That's where you'll be able to get those breakdowns. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate every single one of you guys. And I'll see you guys again later this week for the Bellator MMA Lockcast. Until then, peace. Last thing.